You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, 14-21 For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey, church family. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at Free City. It is uh, Mother's Day, so if you are a mom, happy Mother's Day. If this is a reminder um, to you well, to pick up the phone and uh, call your mom, maybe you could press pause and, and go ahead and do so or potentially make a note um, to do so once this sermon is complete. But as I, uh, as I think about Mother's Day... Um, I first think about my, my own mom. I think about the tremendous gift of grace that God has given me in my own mother. Um, I, I then think about my wife's mom, the mother that I've gained through marriage and, and the, the blessing that she is. And then so many mothers in the faith to me, like women who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus and have deeply impacted my life some of whom have a, a house full of their own kids and, and some who only bear spiritual children. I mentioned Mother's Day recognizing a few things with the possibility of also missing a few. Moms are so important. There's a biological reality, reality that without a mom, none of us would even be here today. But there's also another reality that not everyone has been a recipient of the same maternal care. So as you hear the words, happy Mother's Day today, I I realize that it can kind of land in a bunch of different ways. As is true with, with any recognition of any celebratory occasion, there is always space for that recognition to serve as a reminder of pain, grief, sadness, or loss. So I want to make a couple notes of of things, and and then I want to specifically pray for any of you that may identify with what I say. While many women will spend today being celebrated, surrounded by laughter, by gifts, flowers, cards, there are countless women mourning losses and unfulfilled longings. So some, some of you ladies have experienced the loss of children. Some of you grieve for the babies that you've longed to bear. Some have lost your own mother while others desire a a mom that would actually care. And still some find yourself waiting and wondering if marriage and motherhood even exist in your future. Or or perhaps then there's still more that are perplexed at, at the concern of others for you to desire motherhood when you don't. 
And so wherever you land in that scope, whether I've nailed your story or not, my hope is that today you would feel the love of God through your pain. That you would know that none of your sorrows have been overlooked. None of your tears have fallen to the ground without account, but rather God cares for you. He has, as Psalm 56, 8 says, he's kept account of your tossing and bottled up your tears, that your God is for you. And my hope is that today you, you wouldn't just know that, like in your mind as a fact. Maybe you've actually been wounded by that type of thing in the past, an, an unintended arrow from a friend. Maybe they've said something in passing like, hey, don't forget, for those who love God, all things work together for good. If this is you, please don't let the truth of that statement run out. Don't let it lose its power. That's not sentiment. It's reality. Because of Jesus, God is for you. Whatever amount of that assurance that you experience, I, I pray that today you would, in fact, experience it even more. That in your joy or your grief or your sadness, wherever you are, that the spirit of the living God would grant you power to experience the presence of, the nearness of, God himself. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of, of mothers. Lord, I, I thank you that there are so many moms, um, even as I just consider and, and survey our church family, so many moms um, that stand on generational lines and, and through their prayerful presence transform entire families, that you have granted redemption by just them and the way that you've worked in their life and, and as they care for their own kids. But Lord, then I acknowledge even in our church, like there are so many others who are mourning loss, who are mourning un, un, unfulfilled longings, unexpected curveballs, and unknowns. And so, Lord, wherever that is, Holy Spirit, would you bring comfort even now in the places where it's needed? And would you manifest your presence to all of us? Like as we consider where we are, whether we are overjoyed when we think about moms and, and the, the way we've received, been parented, or... Um, maybe if it's a, a mother who has a, a big, full family to look at and see a lineage of, of people who follow you, Lord, I ask that that would stoke joy in their hearts um, and, and then to think about loss, to think about those things, Lord, would, would that sorrow be met with your grace? So we need you this morning. We trust you um, to fulfill all our needs. Jesus, help us. Amen. Well, this is our eighth week in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It pretty much marks us halfway through the letter. And so today we um, are looking at the second half of Ephesians 3, and, and it's verses 14 through 21. You, you heard it read a few minutes ago. And, uh, and really, here's kind of my aim and, and goal today is it's really this. It's kind of a, feels a little ethereal, if you will, I don't know. 
But, but really the, the kind of goal is that we would become more aware of what's available to us as Christians. Because as those who've been purchased by, drawn in by the blood of Jesus, that we would become aware, not in the sense of just a realization, like a, a head knowledge, but we'd become aware where we become like alive to the reality of what is available to us, that we would know of it, we would live in it, we would experience it. And so today, in today's text, Paul prays, it's the second prayer in the book of Ephesians, he prays for the church at Ephesus, and for us, and he really prays three things, and here they are, three things. He prays that they would be strengthened with power from the Spirit in their inner being, Two, he prays that they would know the love of God. And, and this is like an experiential knowledge. And then three, that, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. So let's get started. If you have your Bible, look at verse 14. It says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He starts by saying, for this reason. Here, Paul picks up where he left off in, in verse one of chapter three, where he actually began to pray, but, but broke his train of thought in verses two through 13. And, and here in verse 14, he picks it back up. But before we actually get to the prayer, I want to make a few observations that are in the, the beginning of this chunk. That's verses 14 and 15. First, look at Paul's posture. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees. At the first reading, like this might not seem like really anything to note, but it is actually quite significant. Paul bows to his knees. A typical posture for prayer in this time would have been just one of standing. However, with an acute sense of need, Paul falls to his knees and he presents his deep longings to his father. And that gets to the second thing. He calls God father. This isn't a far off God who's out of touch with his people. This is the one that, that Paul is praying to is the powerful and loving heavenly father who knows the voice of his own. Paul has, as earlier in this letter, he's written about how through Christ, believers have access in one spirit to the Father. And now he cashes in on that reality and he intercedes for his readers. And look at verse 15. It says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. From it is pointing back to the origin of this family, to God, whose they are. In ancient thought, a, a name was not just a means of, of like distinguishing a person from another. It was particularly the means of revealing the inner being. We're going to talk about this a lot more, the inner being in this, in this text. But it was a means of revealing the inner being, the true nature of that person. So when, when God gives a name, it's not just to provide a label, but to signify his life-giving power to bring them into existence and, and his rule over them. So Paul bows to his father, the father who has given every name to every family in heaven and earth, 
and he declares both that both existence and significance depend upon him. This also provides an assurance that God is able to fulfill Paul's request. So Paul has this deep, deep love and longing for his people. We see it in his posture and in his introduction to his prayer. Then look at verse 16. So he bows before the Father, the one whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And then verse 16 says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the first point, to be strengthened with power from the spirit in your inner being. This is the first thing that Paul prays for, strength. Consider where we've been in Ephesians. All that we've covered, all that Paul has uncovered that that we have in Christ through the spirit that God has granted us. He's already mentioned so much. The abundance of blessing. Think about the whole list. Like if we just look back at at chapter one and we see every spiritual blessing and, and then we see how all that unfolded. This is a plan before the foundations of the earth. All of those things and that you were saved by grace through faith it's not your own doing, all of that. When you, when you consider that, do you, do you need strength to comprehend that? Well, of course you do. And Paul knows this. Remember back in, in Ephesians, really the, the end of one, he asked that God would open the eyes of our hearts to all that God has for us in Christ. He knows, Paul knows that our finite minds could never comprehend the, the great work that God has done without a supernatural work in us. But, but then notice where he prays for us to be strengthened. Where it is. Your inner being. So Paul's not praying for our physical strength to increase. This is not, we've talked about this in, in Ephesians, this is not a circumstantial prayer. He's asking God to strengthen your very being Paul cares about your heart. He prays for your heart to be strengthened because he knows that your heart is the place in which all your wants and longings and desires flow. Consider Proverbs 4.23. This is the NIV. To me, I love the way it's it's, it's written and worded. It, It says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Paul knows this reality. He knows how your heart is bent. He knows the temptation towards sin in suffering, how it's been, and in various trials. This is Paul who, who in 2 Corinthians 4, regarding suffering in the inner self, writes about how he just says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted. We're not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. He ends it in verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, 
Notice this same language as Ephesians 3. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. In the midst of imprisonment and great, great afflictions, Paul still speaks of the surety of Christ's work. This cannot be him on his own. Like, like think about Paul's current circumstances. He's locked up. He's already, as we know from Acts 20, really in 38, he's already signed off in person with the Ephesians. They had this sorrowful parting and, and really in, in Acts 20, 38, it says, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, Paul had spoken, they knew that they would never see him again. So Paul knew he's not going to see those who he's writing this letter to. His circumstances would actually, in my opinion, sink the spirit, causing Paul to like withdraw rather than press in. He's just said goodbye. He understands the reality but if you look at Paul's posture, he's still fervently praying for these people. Paul doesn't exist in the kind of out of sight, out of mind context because he's drawing a supernatural power in his inner being. This is the spirit of God at work within him, energizing, providing strength. Consider when you face hardships. Like when you doubt or, or you despair and when, when that slides its way into your life, is it enough to just kind of white knuckle and wait out the storm? Is it enough for someone to, to inform you once again that, to only inform you once again that, that God loves you and he'll never forsake you? Like just information? You do absolutely need the reminder of that glorious truth, but you need more. You need the spirit of the living God to actually give you strength in your inner being, deep in your heart of hearts where the disruption has actually taken root. Consider the moments that you're tempted to sin. Where do you need strength? Like sometimes you, you do need strength to, to literally get up and walk away, but disciplined efforts aren't enough. What you need is spirit-derived strength to transform your heart, your inner self, to reorder your desires and affections. And the place where the Holy Spirit wants to get in and transform is in this inner being. This is where we all most need healing and empowerment because this is the place that drives everything we do. This is a really even a, a flag to wave to say, hey, we, we have a great need for self-awareness. We need to, we'll get to this later, but we need to, with our brothers and sisters, the family that Paul has aforementioned, venture into the depths of our hearts and our longings. But we also have to be careful not to confuse the self-awareness with self-dependence. We don't get to know ourselves and, and spot sin patterns just to be able to rattle them off in a group of people clarifying how insightful we are as we become aware of what our hearts are really after, we begin to confess what we know and we ask the Spirit to strengthen us. Why? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that we might 
more deeply experience the presence of Jesus Christ himself. To part of the language from Romans 8, 29, so that we might be more conformed into the image of the likeness of Jesus. As the Spirit strengthens our hearts, it changes our hearts, we begin to see everything with new eyes. Where our lives have been lived in darkness, we now walk in light. Where we have loved people with condition, we now see individuals through God's eyes because Christ dwells within us. And when Jesus resides in us, he is at the center of our lives. He renovates our hearts as he rules over all that we are and do. And this is all by faith as we trust him, as we're receptive to him. Peter O'Brien in, in his commentary on Ephesians says this, that, that through the strengthening of the inner person by God's spirit and Christ indwelling in their hearts, the readers are established in love so that they will comprehend the greatness of the love of Christ. It's through the spirit and through Christ in us that we begin to know God's great love for us in Christ. We experience it. We may try to make efforts to, to change our affections and behaviors, but it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can change in any lasting way. It's only when we receive this power in our inner being, which means that this is the transformation of our loves and, and our convictions. It doesn't primarily begin with fruit, with good lives and actions. It primarily begins within. We're rooted and grounded in love. Look at the second half of verse 17. We'll go through 19. It says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And this is the second part to Paul's prayer, to experientially know the love of God. There is absolutely need for us to know, to, to be informed of who God is. And, and when I say in that way, I mean a, a head knowledge truth. But it is not only that, it is more than that. We also need to know this, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. Experientially, we need to know him. And this is what Paul's praying for. As followers of Jesus, we, by all means, we need the disciplines. We need silence, solitude, prayer, Bible reading. But the disciplines are movements to ready our souls for the Spirit's work. The disciplines are not the end, but the means to encourage us within, to encourage within us receptivity in order to commune with God. So think about that. Consider your life and how you operate. Like maybe you read your Bible six days a week or, or better, seven. Let's just give you the perfect score. You pray for 20 minutes a day before anything else. You get what I'm saying? This is like Paul level. These are absolutely great things. 
But don't hear me say that they're not. If we all had these disciplines, it would be outstanding. However, within the disciplines alone, there is an opportunity, a foothold that Satan loves to take. For us to read, pray, whatever we may do, but for us to just do these things with the end goal of checking the box on our daily to-do list. For us to just know more to have more knowledge about God without truly experiencing him. You know, it is possible, I assume you know this, it is possible to read the Bible and know more about God without experiencing God. This happens frequently. Like think about historians, if you're currently at KU or in college, if you... I would assume probably it's to some degree you hear this in high school um, or you could recall things you've read or whatever it might be. But, but if you think just about historians, like Lawrence, Kansas born, Bart Ehrman, he's, he's a quite well-known professor um, at, at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and he's pinned many New York Times bestsellers. Here's the thing about him. He guaranteed knows more about knowledge-wise, has more knowledge about the Bible than you. However, his reading of the word is to know more, to poke holes at the word of God and the, the deity of Christ, the person of Jesus, rather than to be receptive to the spirit of God. The thing is, We need to read and know the word of God, but we also need to experience it. We need to be grounded in the word, but also be rooted in, nourished by the spirit. Take parenting, for example. If my wife, Skye, and I relentlessly talk about the Bible, which I think we pretty positive we do this. We talk about Jesus God, the Holy Spirit, we talk about grace. It's one thing. Our kids, will they will surely know a great deal. They may be able to kind of even rattle off some of these truths that, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and raised three days later. They, they can recount uh, some of the catechisms that our only hope in life and death is that we're not our own, but we belong to God. They can know that God is the loving father who sent his son to die upon the cross for the sins of his people. They can even to some degree give a definition of grace. However, what if every time they do something wrong, their earthly father, me, jumps their case to berate them for their wrongdoing? Would that experience that which they know as true, would it, would it cloud the truths of who God is? Of course. They would have a working definition of grace without having ever experienced it for themselves. They, they would even have an idea of a father, but it wouldn't line up with the father God that the scriptures speak of. And that experience would, would likely veil the truth of what they've known. And this is a reality that, as a pastor, I I hear on the regular. And so if you're listening to this, there's probably a a good chance, like as we kind of move into the next section, that that at some point you've kind of heard, 
about the, the breadth, length, height, depth, and love of God. You know factually that God's love is vast, but you experience its limitlessness. Paul prays for you. Look at verse 18. Picks up saying, being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Strengthened by the Spirit together with all the saints, God's power enabling to grasp his love is most effective when we consider the gospel together. This is precisely why Paul talks about how we're not only saved through Christ, but we're unified together in Christ. Because we think here at Free City, we, it's why we always push city groups, life transformation groups. Because I only see in part, and you only see in part, we need each other. We need the body, the church. We need our fellow saints, to borrow Paul's language, our family, to begin to fathom the vastness of the love of Christ. Look at the four aspects that Paul mentions when he speaks of this vastness. He says, the breadth. And so to consider this is kind of, it's wide. Remember how Paul has highlighted the, the ethno-inclusivity of the gospel. Jews and Gentiles are now welcomed into God's family. Both brought near. How often are you convinced that you're outside of God's reach? Like how often do you find yourself up at night thinking, I was born into a family that's a, a bit outside of his reach? Or you have a laundry list of sins too large to allow you in. Consider the length of it. It's long. God's love is eternal. Recall Ephesians 1, where in love, God has predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ before the foundations of the earth. You can't retrace the time span because it's always been and it will always be. This is confounding to us because our understanding of this type of love is, is twofold frustrated from this reality. First, we have earthly fathers that can never live up to our heavenly father. And then part two, the love we experience is, is so regularly coupled with abandonment. It's there till it's gone. It's conditional. How many of you have had past relationships that your significant other said, I love you only to now realize that they never meant it, that now they're nowhere to be found or closer to home. You have parents, fathers and mothers who have conditionally provided love only to withdraw it when you don't live up to expectations. Friends, listen, God's love will never, never, never give up on you. It's long, eternal, and the height, the love of God. It's an exalting love. In Ephesians 2, 6 through 7, we understand that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Like in Christ, we become citizens of heaven. This is so easily one that we can lose sight of. 
when walking through the difficulties of life, it's, it's sometimes just difficult to see out past the moment. Experiences now leave us questioning the benefits that await in glory. Like suffering, it's, it's imminent. Putting sin to death feels so often like death itself. These are weighty, heavy costs, but we can't lose sight. We need to grasp the height of the love of Christ. We need our brothers and sisters in the faith to remind us we were hell-bound rebels, but now given a new future, a new hope with a secured place in the courts of heaven, all because of Jesus. And look at the fourth, fourth aspect, the depth. Consider the depths to which Christ took to reveal his love to you. He literally became sin. Have you ever like just sat in that? Like if you, if you just took time to make a list or just say it out loud, took time to confess your sin, to verbalize it and name it, everything, even the unthinkable, sins that, that no one on the planet knows about, the sins that you've held close to your chest for years for fear of being cut off by friends or family or, or dare I say God. If you name those and confess those and you just hold them up and you let the reality, the truth of the gospel wash over you that Jesus went to the cross for X, Y, Z. Went to the cross for that. He shed his blood. He was cut off from God. So that, that feeling of you being cut off is no longer reality. He was separated so that you might be drawn into the fold of God. The depths of his love, they're inexhaustible. The end of the deep, deep love of Jesus cannot be fathomed. We need to know God, the truth about him. We must meditate on this of who he is together. We need our brothers and sisters who love the word of God, constantly wrapped up in picking apart words, the etymology. And, and we also need the, the family of God who, who just has a deep passion to see and feel God. All this together we need to come in unity so that by the Spirit we might receive strength to know, to experience the love of God. This is a, a personal experience. Like think about that, that's you. It's a personal experience, but it's not private. We need others. This is a shared insight, a belonging to the community of believers, to a family. Look at verse 19. It's the third part of Paul's prayer. He's prayed that we'd be strengthened with power from the spirit in our inner being, that we'd know the love of God, experience it. And then finally, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. As the love of, of Christ surpasses knowledge, it only makes sense that the fullness of God is also incomprehensible. I understand this really to kind of just be Paul saying, hey, ask for more, ask for more. Like when you become aware that, that true satisfaction 
is found in God. And, and kind of maybe bear with me in, in, this, in this explanation. When you become aware that true satisfaction is found in God, are, are you ever really satisfied with what you know of him as enough? Here's what I mean. We seek satisfaction in things. When we do so, we are always left dissatisfied or, or fooled to be momentarily satisfied. Like, example, you've been waiting to redecorate your house. You've really been wanting to do it. You've already planned and picked out the paint. You got the furniture ideas. You can reorganize. And lo and behold, you get stuck in government lockdown and they cut you a check for $1,200. Well, now you get to execute. You buy the paint, you order the furnishings, you get to work. Listening to your favorite playlist, you roll the walls with a new layer of color, and UPS drops off your order on the front porch. You get everything in its proper place. Great success, right? However, time doesn't stop. And as it carries on, you become dissatisfied once again. You begin to contemplate, well, maybe if I changed out the curtains this time, or the rug, and so on. This is ever-changing, because your home, or stuff, could put any other story in this, was never intended to be your in-game source of satisfaction. You will seek satisfaction in things, be it your home, significant other, car you drive, kids, whatever, but those ventures will always leave you back at square one searching for the next thing. But this is not so with God. When we begin to experience God, when we experience his spirit strengthening us in our inner being, comprehending together with the saints the great expanse of Christ's love that surpasses all knowledge, we realize that we don't have to look anywhere else. We have found the source of true satisfaction. However, this is worship. We still have a perpetual longing. The difference from finding satisfaction in things or in God is that when we find it in God, we no longer have to look in other wells because the deepest well is ours to drink from. I think this is what Paul is saying when he prays that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He's saying, keep asking more. Keep coming back. Don't be satisfied with just a taste. Jump completely in. Ask more, seek more, expect more. The more you desire God, the more God will grow your desires for him. Have you ever prayed for the salvation of a friend? Have you ever prayed for the salvation of a friend and, and, and actually seen God answer that prayer? Perhaps he even used you to share the gospel with them. If that has happened, when they came to faith in Christ, did you just stop there? Kind of chalk it up and say, well, that was cool. Like, I'm glad I lived long enough to see God work. Or did that spark more fire in you? Like you began longing for other friends to know Jesus, to see the person who just became a Christian grow more in the likeness of Jesus. Or like, have you ever prayed for healing and experienced God actually do what you've asked? 
This has happened in, in my city group. We, with, with quite regularity, bring requests to God for healing for individuals and in our group and, and also for people outside our group. Often, prayers are uttered. Sometimes it's prayers full of faith and, and then sometimes we've got, you know, safeguarded prayers, depending on the day of the week. Safeguarded prayers would be like, well, God, if you really want to, but, you know, if not, you know, kind of a meek, maybe not, we don't really fully understand who we're praying to. But there've been moments where we've experienced like breakthrough, like inner healing, where we've prayed for footholds to be lifted. And, and then we've also prayed for physical healing and we've seen that happen. And you know what happens like in those instances where we see this breakthrough happen, whether it's healing, inner or physical? You know what happens within the group? More fervency, more confidence, more trust, more expectation, more longing to see God continue to reveal himself in our midst. Like we're not satisfied to just leave from there. We're not satisfied with just a mere glimpse. We're left longing for the fullness of God. And this is what Paul's praying. He's saying, realize that satisfaction is found in God himself, but don't ever be satisfied as if you've seen the fullness of God. In boldness with expectation, fueled by power from the spirit in your inner being, knowing who it is you're asking, ask more, long for more of God's presence. He delights to reveal himself to those who seek him. Like think about the boldness of Paul's prayer. Think about it. It's honestly limitless. And if we start to believe that, that there are limitations within God, if we begin to believe that, Paul corrects us as he closes in verse 20. He says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul knows that it is impossible to ask God for too much because the Father's generosity exceeds any capacity for our requests or our imagination. Now, what would our lives look like if we prayed in this way? What would our, our, our church look like if we prayed in this way? What would our city look like? What would our families? Like we could add that to anything. What if we relentlessly came to the one who is able to do more than all we can ask or think? What would your prayers look like? I'd venture to say that our prayers, like current, are probably a, a bit small in comparison to what Paul's praying for. I, I would bet that most of us actually get quite caught up in the circumstantial. That we get hoodwinked into requesting for momentary change while the one that we ask has the power to do far more. So church family, May we be people strengthened with power 
from the spirit of the living God in our inner being who know and experience the love of God, who really know him, who are filled with all God's fullness. Let me pray. Father, we, we do ask. We submit ourselves to you and, and we ask that you would make us into this people. That you would search us. That through your spirit, you would strengthen us. You would unify us together that, that we might comprehend your great love for us in Jesus Christ. So God, fill us with your fullness. Fill us with your presence. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Church family, we're going to begin uh, in the next couple of weeks a, a transition into a plan of re-entry for worship together. Phase one will be facilitated through our city groups. And, and so if you're not currently in a city group, we would love for you to get connected. You can find out more information by visiting fcclawrence.com slash citygroups for more information. I miss you guys. Love you. Look forward to seeing you soon.